Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. I'm going to share on a topic that I've shared on before. I think it's been a little over a year and a half, so it was like 76 messages ago, if you remember. Um, But it's consistent with our purpose as a church. When, when When I see the verse... In Acts, um, Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When I hear that verse, I think now that is our church. I desire that we would be a place where we come and we are equipped to go out and be a witness. To be a witness in every way imaginable. And the Bible describes that witness as being a powerful witness, a witness that has supernatural power. Proverbs 11.30 says, and he who wins souls is wise. How many of you want to be that kind of wise? The kind of wise that wins souls. Fella, there's a, there's a Bible translation called the Knots translation, and I want you to listen to the way that, that that verse is translated there. It says, where right living bears its fruit, the tree of life grows up, and the wise man's reward is living souls. Where right living bears fruit. In other words, when we live the way God has called us to live, that will bear fruit. And that fruit in the wise man's life, this scripture says, will be living souls. We are called to win the lost. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, 17 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. When he says be wise as serpents, another translation says as cunning. When you think of someone being cunning, what do you think of? Like a premeditated strategy, right? If you're cunning about something, you you don't just happen along and be like, oh, I just like Look at me, I'm I'm successful. (laughs) No, someone who was cunning, someone who was wise about it, they were intentional and premeditated about what they did. They planned how to achieve what they accomplished. We are to plan to achieve the winning of souls. A lot of Christians, and I, if I say, how many of you would like to win someone to the Lord? Hopefully, every hand goes up. We want that, but a lot of times, we're just kind of like, well, I hope it happens. That'd be nice. But the Bible says that we are to be as wise as serpents and as harmless 
as doves. We are to be strategic. We are to be cunning. We are to be intentional about this. And a lot of times, we have a misconception about what winning souls looks like. When, when we say something about winning souls, a lot of us think in pictures. How many of you guys think in pictures? I am very much a visual thinker. I imagine things. When you tell me something, I create an image in my mind for it, and then later when I want to remember, I recall that image, and then I can remember what you said, which means sometimes if you use a word to tell me something and it didn't end up clear in my image, I'll end up remembering it wrong, and I've messed that up a number of times. My wife, if she's listening, will be like, oh, yeah, that's you. Sometimes I do that, but here's the picture I want you to have. Some, well, it's actually... First, I want to start with the picture we sometimes get. I say, let's win souls. And some of us are like picturing some evangelist standing on the corner with a bullhorn, shouting at people the gospel. How many of you can picture that? We we, we imagine that's what it looks like to win souls. Somebody who's out there just shouting the gospel at other people. Or big crusades. When we think of soul winning, we think of maybe the images we've seen of, of, or maybe we've even witnessed in person. But a church service where somebody raises their hand and comes down to the front, or a big crusade where hundreds of people came down or raised their hands. A few years ago, Luis Palau came to Grand Rapids. We helped organize a big event. 800,000 people visited And there were thousands of people who raised their hand and made a decision to give their life to Christ. And we picture that and we're like, that's what it looks like to win souls. But there is a difference between what it looks like to win souls that way and what it looks like to win souls in our family. I want to look at John 4, 38. Look at what it says. It says, I sent you to reap that on which you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you have entered into their labor. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him because of the saying of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Listen to this. He says, I sent you to reap a harvest of souls that you didn't labor for. What he was describing was one of those events. When we think of winning souls, we often think about that last step when someone makes a decision. But he points out, he says, when you're there for that step, you, usually, you often weren't there for the beginning. He says, and I sent you to reap on which you bestowed no labor. Other men labored. And you have entered into their labor. I just told you about the thousands of people who raised their hands, walked forward, prayed with prayer partners, dedicated their lives to to Christ here in Grand Rapids at that big crusade. But how many of you realize the work of winning those souls didn't start that morning? Each of those people were invited by someone But it wasn't just their invitation. It's not like the day they invited them, that's what made the difference. Those people had done work, had labored 
with their testimony for a long time. When we think about missions and and people getting saved in a church service, we're we're thinking about the harvest. But there's still the planting of the seeds and the watering. And all the time those people spent watching the lives of the Christians in their workplace, in their classroom, in their neighborhood, in their friend group, there was labor. You realize, we imagine, we imagine that when we get to heaven, God is going to give a big old high five to Luis Palau or to pastor or to somebody who stood up there and called forward the harvest. But honestly, I feel like God's, how we call it, record keeping, is far more complex and complete than ours would be. Oh, that person prayed the prayer of salvation with a hundred people, and she only prayed the prayer of salvation with two. But I think God looks and says, her life planted a thousand seeds. She watered 10,000 little plants. And sure, it was Luis Palau and somebody else who may have been there on the day. But God looks at that and his reward, when he comes to reward us, I believe he's going to reward the seeds planted, the watering, all of that intentionality. How many of you have ever heard of the Romans road? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, the Romans road. You see, there, is a, there are a few steps that, that, that to, to salvation, to an understanding that it can be found in Romans, and it's often called the Romans road. You can take notes if you want. Also, Google already took them. So if you just pick up, your, if you remember this, the Romans road, you can just Google the Romans road. You'll find articles, you'll find websites, you'll find graphics, you'll find cute pictures, you can print them and put them on. You'll find this over and over and over again. But let me just run with you through the basics that people need to know that are found in Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Before we can be saved, we have to understand we're lost. We need to recognize that no matter how good or not good we are, none of us were good enough. The Bible says, who sinned? All. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not about if you were the worst. It's simply none of us were good enough. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The next reality for first is all have sinned. The second is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So if we recognize, hey, we all fell and deserve death, but God offers us a gift of eternal life. A gift. If I called you guys forward, if I said, hey, I have a gift for you today, how many of you would probably want one? If you came up and it was something great and and I I gave it to you, 
And you were like, oh, this is fantastic. And you brought it back to your seat. And then I put people at the door saying, well, if you want to bring it home, you're going to have to pay me $9.99. How many of you would be like, wait a second, that wasn't a gift. You see, if, if I have to earn it, then it isn't a gift. We need to recognize that God offers a gift of eternal life. The third is in Romans 10, 9, and 10. I usually close the service with that verse. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We need to recognize that we we need to confess and believe. We don't earn it. We just accept it. And someone says, well, isn't acceptance a work? There is, there is some people who are confused by this. We'll say, if, if I accept his forgiveness, isn't that my earning? Did I earn it by accepting it? Remember why God gave us free will. Acts 17, verse 20-something, I think it's 28. He says he did it so that we would reach out for him. You don't earn it by what you do, but God gave us a free will because he wanted to be loved and chosen. He says, I want relationship with you, but for it to be meaningful, you have to choose me. And he sets all of creation up and he sets everything up. He says, just In fact, in the Old Testament, he says, I put before you death and life, hint, choose life. Like he wants us to accept him. And he says, you just need to confess what you believe. You believe it and you confess it. And you will be saved. Romans 10.13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of of the Lord will be saved. The last step in the Romans road, the last stone in the Romans road is is recognizing the assurance, God's promise behind it. If you ask, you will be saved. All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, this that's the path And we recognize that not everybody is in the same place. Sometimes we're planting seeds. Sometimes we're watering. We envision salvation oftentimes the way we see it at church when someone comes down. But how many of you, here's my question, how many of you accepted Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Hands up. How many of you did so in a church service? How many of you were not in a church service? Okay. Not everyone will receive it. And of course, if I was to ask how many of you received Christ in a church service and then say, was that the first time you ever saw? No hand would stay up. Everyone witnessed Christianity before they accepted. Everyone was, had seeds planted and had it watered before but I want to look for a minute at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. This is when I really get into today's message. 
All that other stuff was introduction. First Peter chapter three, verse one, it says, likewise, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands so that if any do not obey the word. What does it mean that they don't obey the word? Others say that they do not believe. See, so basically it says to these women, it says, if your husbands don't believe in God, if they don't obey, they may also be one without the word by the conduct of the wives, having witnessed your chaste behavior in the fear of God, of whom let not be the adorning of garments or outward braiding of hair or wearing of gold or putting on of clothing, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, which is in that which is not corruptible, the meek, quiet spirit, which is great, which is of great price in the sight of God. This verse speaks directly to wives who want to win their husbands to the Lord. Now, does anybody think that it doesn't apply to husbands who want to win their wives? No. In fact, I believe that this verse applies to to anyone who is close to us in our life. What it's saying is, hey, if you're trying to win someone close to you, don't expect to win them the way you saw at a crusade. At a crusade, someone got up and preached. And there are many people who look at that and say, well, I saw someone get saved after preaching at church. So if I want to win my spouse to the Lord, I'm going to have to preach to them every time I see them. They wake up in the morning and like, you know what? You're messed up. God wants to fix you. You need to get right with God. You're, you're, you're dying. You're, you're on your way to hell. You're not forgiven. You're not. And, and this person is just getting preached at and preached at and preached at and preached at. How many of you think that's, that's probably the right way to do it? But you know what? Because we've, we've imagined that we, we've seen some people get saved after hearing a sermon, sometimes we think, well, that's what I got to do. I got to sermonize these people. And I'm going to tell them how wrong they are as many times as I possibly can. And then they're going to want to do the right thing. No. Now that applies to wives who want to win their husbands. That applies to husbands who want to win their wives. I believe it applies to us anytime we want to win someone who is close to us. See, God called. John says, you were sent to reap on which you bestowed no labor. That preacher who just summarizes the message and then gets to see a harvest, what are they doing? They are reaping the, 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 the harvest from other labor. What does that labor look like? Right there, we just saw it. That labor looks like living a godly example before them. It says, where'd my verse go? Here it is. It says that they would witness your chaste behavior in the fear of God. Wow. We want to see, we want to see people, one, to the Lord who are close to us. God says, if they're close to you, then it's not going to be your words that win them over. It's going to be your actions. 
It's going to be your actions. It reminds me of, 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 an, of a tombstone I heard about. Allegedly, there's a tombstone and this inscription was put on it. When I was young, I set out to change the world. I soon realized how great the task was and resolved to settle for changing only my country. Years went by and my goal was still so far from my reach, I decided to change to only my city. Then I reduced to changing my family. Now as I lay in my deathbed, I realized that if I had begun by resolving to change myself, I would have surely influenced my family. My family would have likely influenced my city and my city may have influenced my country and only then could I have perhaps changed the world. We start with ourselves. We wonder, what, what is this magical thing that I'm going to say that's going to win people to the Lord? 1 Peter 2.12 says, Having your conversation honest among Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That was King James. Modern King James says, having your conduct honest among the nations in that which they speak against you as evildoers, they may glorify God in the day of his visitation, seeing your good works. It is how we behave. I want you guys, everybody take a moment and think of someone who exemplified God to you. Think of a time when you saw someone who exemplified Christianity. Just imagine. I'm not going to call on you. You don't have to tell the story, but I want you to imagine that person. When I think of someone who exemplified Christ-likeness, Christianity, the person I think of first was a little man by the name of Banancio Hernandez Montiel. He was like four and a half feet tall. I don't know where it was, right around here. He was from the, the heart of Mexico, um, the Otomi, I, I, I'm used to saying Native Americans, but indigenous people. He was, the, his people group were enslaved by the Aztecs when the Aztecs got to Mexico. And in the 1970s, uh, there was a group that came in to do some studying, and at that time, they determined that he had reached 200,000 people with the gospel in the mountain region of, in his people group. He had gone out and helped start hundreds of churches. And when I say churches, I mean fellowships of Christians, because the church was like a straw roof in the backyard of the first person in that town to get saved like these kind of churches. But he had gone to just hundreds of these places and he had taught people how to, to plant crops and, and how to do things and then, then taught them what, what God said. I mean, just, just amazing. And he had done so much for the gospel and would go out to these villages but would get persecuted. And this is the story that comes to my mind. So he was with a friend of mine, and they had just gone to one of these villages out in the middle of the mountains, and now they're, they're driving on the only road that reaches out there, which was basically where a bulldozer had plowed through the side of the mountain and then left. And so you're going along like this, and, and it, like a 13-mile road would take two hours 
driving as fast as you could. Because as fast as you could was like six miles an hour. As you're going. So he's working his way out. He's driving at night after having preached the gospel in this town. And there were some people there who did not like that they were preaching. So they hid on the side of the road. And as they drove by, took a massive rock. Have you ever, how many, has anybody ever tried to break the window of a car? If you ever locked yourself out? It's not easy. One time I had my car parked in Montreal and I came out next to it and there were a bunch of like marks on my window and a brick laying there. Someone had been tossing a brick at my car trying to get in, didn't even get in. Okay, well, this time they got a rock so big that their first try, it smashed right through the, pa- the driver's side window and hit him in the face. So he's got shattered glass, blood from the stone. It just comes sh- sh- crashing through the side of his car. You know, he's just driving in the dark. All of a sudden, the stone smacks him in the side of the face. And my buddy Rick, who is sitting next to him, says, he shakes it off. He hits the gas to try to get away because he doesn't want to stop in case they had worse things in mind. And then the next thing out of his, the first thing out of his mouth is, we need to pray for those people. And he began to pray that those people would come to, to repent and to come to know God's love and come to realize the error of their ways. He is bleeding out the side of his face and his first thought is, I need to pray for those people. To me, that exemplifies Christ. When you see that, when you see someone's reaction, you realize all of us have expectations for how things are going to go. You ever notice that? We all, we, like, we see a situation go down, we're like, oh, I know how this is going to turn out. And you're like, you watch. And you, you know, because you've seen it before. And the last time you saw somebody get cussed out at work, you remember how they reacted. And you expect these people to react the same way as the people who did it, who, who were in the situation before. But when someone reacts differently than what you expect, how many of you take notice? Yeah. See, that is when our testimony is the most powerful. Our testimony, our light shines when we break from what is expected and respond with God's love. But here's the catch. It's it's almost impossible to script that. You don't plan ahead. It's not like Benancia was like, okay, someday if I ever happen to get hit by a rock through the side of my window, this is what I'm going to do, right? You don't know what's going to happen. Benancio didn't plan ahead for how this was going to happen. Matthew 12, 34 describes it this way. It says, offsprings of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings out evil things. If I want to react in the moment, 
I'm not going to react by script, trying to script my life. Okay, the next time that this happens. No. What I have to do, the Bible says, is I will speak out of the abundance that's in my heart. What is in my heart? My mom always says it this way, we're a sponge. How many of you have a sponge in your kitchen sink right now? How many of you do not want me to see it because it's all like nasty? (laughs) Sometimes those sponges last longer than they should. But have you ever noticed, like, you put a little soap in that sponge and then over and over, you keep squeezing it, what comes out? More soap. More soap. And you just keep, why? Because that's what's in it. That needs to be us. We have to fill ourselves with God's word, with his character. What's in us will come out. If, if what I have filled myself with is not godly, then when I stub my finger, or stub my, stub my finger, I stub my toe and I smash my finger. There you go. If I smash my finger, what's going to come out? What I filled myself with. The hours and hours and hours of cussing that I watched on television then suddenly just pop into my mind and I'm like, oh, I didn't premeditate. I wasn't planning on that, but I've witnessed it over and over and over and over and over again. And I just, I've accepted that as normal. It's what I've filled myself with. I have filled myself. If I want to be, if I want to react in a way that shines light on the gospel, I'm going to have to fill myself with something other than what everyone else is full of. Uh, let's see, where was I? Matthew 12, 34. Then Psalms 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. How do I avoid doing dumb things at, the, at, at those moments? I hide God's word in my heart. I fill myself up. What I, my witness isn't created in the moment. My witness is created ahead of time when I fill myself like a sponge with God's word, with God's character. When I, when I meditate in advance on what God's love looks like, when I recognize and I think about, you know why he was able to respond with prayer instantly? Because he had already filled himself with God's heart for those people. He, the reason he was there was because he had God's heart for those people. And when those people threw a rock at his face, that didn't change what was already inside of him. And so it came out. We've used the example to to meditate. What does it look like to meditate? To meditate on God's word is is to think on, to, to ruminate over. How many of you know what a animal is that ruminates it's to chew the cud how many have ever heard that term used to be everybody understood this because everybody lived on a farm now no no pop quiz did you know that cows don't have one stomach they have multiple stomachs someone's folding up the hand four here's what they do they go out there and they eat the grass and they swallow it and they put it in stomach number one And then they go sit down, ready for this? 
Then they throw it up into their mouth and they chew it again. And then they send it to stomach two. Then they throw it up again. They chew it up. They send it back to stomach three. How many of you get in the pattern there? They revisit what they've taken in. We, we have a tendency. I, how many of you have ever forgotten someone's name right after they told you? <laughs> I need both hands and both feet up in the air for that one. Oh, I've done that so many times. Now, how do you avoid it? You got to use that name like right away. So when someone says, hi, my name is Omar. We're like, Omar, great. Nice to meet you, Omar. And then like 30 seconds later, I'll be like, hey, Omar. Right? If I can, if I can say it, if I can use it a couple of times, then it comes in. I have to regurgitate. It comes in. If I don't do anything with it, it's like it just falls out the back somewhere. I have to reuse it. Same with, with what we get from God's word and, and from church service and from devotions. And we need to, to bring it back up. We need to meditate on it. The truths that, that we discover in scripture as we're reading, as we're praying, as we're listening in church, as we're listening to podcasts, as we're doing whatever it is, when we see something, if we're just like, oh, that was good. I mean... <clears throat> I have to, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I have gone to people like, I want to know that person's name. And I go up and I ask them and I'm like, good, now I've got their name. And then I don't think about it for like three minutes. And then I'm like, oh my goodness. I just realized I really wanted to know their name. And I forgot to, like, I already forgot it. How many have ever done that? Oh, thank you. Why? I need to, to, to establish it. I need to meditate on it. I thought by virtue of hearing it once, it was somehow going to be stored forever, and it's not. Matthew 5, 13 through 15 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, what shall it, with what shall it be salted? It is no longer good for anything, but that it be thrown out and be trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that has been set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a grain measure. But no, they put it on a light, light stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. We aren't to hide that difference. When we react differently... The world will see that. That's what, it, that's what it means to be a light, to salt. How many of you realize salt tastes different than the food? That's why we want it. In old times, salt was a very valuable commodity. And if you happened to get salt that had lost its flavor because it had been used already to preserve something, it had been then next to, to some meat perhaps, to, and it had, lost, it had already been used to the degree that it no longer had any saltiness, it did no good. And they, they had experienced that. He says, hey, if salt loses its savor, what good is it anymore? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out. You're the light of the world. You need to be different. Acts 36, or excuse me, Luke 6, 30 through 36 says, give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them again. And as you desire that men should do to you, you 
do also to them likewise. For if you love those who love you, what thanks do you have? For sinners also love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what thanks do you have? For sinners also do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what thanks do you have? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good the, to, and do good and lend hoping for nothing in return and your reward shall be great and you shall be the sons of the highest he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil therefore be merciful even as your father is merciful here jesus is saying when you act like the world don't be surprised the world is nice to people who are nice to them The world will lend you money if they know they're going to get it back in return with interest. He said, but you become an example of Christ when you act differently than the world. When your response isn't what they were expecting. We're we're near the end of our time. But I just want to encourage you. It is awesome to invite someone to church, to see them accept the Lord, salvation. But I, I want to I just admit straight up, when someone gets saved in church, I didn't do the work. You did. They saw God's character lived out in someone else's life. And they recognized that's something I would like to have. How many of you can remember watching someone live a Christian life before you were a Christian and being impressed with their testimony? How many of you remember that? I see some. I've I've told you guys the story of Jose Luis, a young man I met in Mexico who had planned his suicide months in advance. He'd already written his note. He knew he was when he was going to take his life. New Year's Eve, the year 2000. He had it planned. But he made friends with a group of Christians who lived differently than what he knew. And before that date could come, he ended up giving his life to Christ. And he said, he said, if I had met people like you before, And he told me this. He said, if I had met someone like you before, I would have gotten saved before. I didn't know. In fact, for the first couple months, I didn't know he wasn't a Christian. He just was blending in. But he saw something different just because he got around people. You and I are called to be different. That's the labor. How do we win people to the Lord? Most of the time, it's not going to be preaching. It's going to be living. It's going to be just reacting differently, having something other than what the world has in our hearts so that when we're squeezed, when, when do you see the most soap out of the sponge? When it's squeezed, when it's twisted, when it's pressed against a wall. When you and I face hardships, challenge, difficulties. Those are the moments that people look at us and say, wow. They don't react the way everyone else does. That's impressive. 
I pray that for each and every one of us. But it's not, it's not something we premeditate and pre-script out. We just fill ourselves with God's character. And then whatever situation comes and squeezes us and presses us, then it's God's character that comes out. It's God's heart towards people. When we've been praying for the lost, when we recognize how much God wants them to, to know him, then, then when they do something typical of a lost soul, when they attack us, when they hurt us, when they reach out, we don't respond angry. We respond with compassion. And when the world sees that, God says that is what will win them, especially those that are close to us. If you're here today and you know that you're right with God, that, that you're forgiven, that, that God has accepted you into his family, you, you know that your sins are forgiven, I want to ask you to raise your hand. If you don't know that you're right with God, if you hope you're right with God, we read that verse a little bit ago, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it takes. If that's you, with every eye closed just for a moment, or if you're watching online, if that's you, and you want to be certain that you are right with God, I invite you to raise your hand and we'll make certain of it today. If there's someone watching online, let's just repeat with them. Say, dear God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that he rose from the dead. I recognize that I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. I recognize it's a free gift and I accept that gift. And I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer and you know you're right with God and you want, we have a gift for you. We'd like for you to, to come forward. Just mention it to me after service and I'll get that gift to you. If you're online, we have that same thing for you in digital format. We can send that. If you just let us know. You can put it in the comments of what you're writing. You can send us a direct message. You can email the church. You can go to however you'd like. Reach out, and we'll get that for you as well. We want to see you grow and walk with God. Amen.